0: Morning. I'm going to read our scripture uh, for today, then we'll pray. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, we just pray right now that the reality of who you are would crowd out all other things in our life. That you would be the focus, you would be the center, you would be the foundation, you would be the structure of our lives and our church and the good news of your gospel that you came into human history, that you have died to save sinners, that you have risen from the dead and you are putting all things back the way they are supposed to be, would be the driving force in every facet, every corner, every nook and every cranny of our lives and of our church and that we would take that good news of who you are and that our life is built on such a firm foundation uh, uh, not just to the corners uh, of our coffee shops and our city but to the corners uh, and to the ends of the earth uh, that we would be a people who would would be marked out by the reality that we are the people who belong to this God this God this mighty God preeminent above all things the only God and so Jesus, I just pray, uh, I am I am feeling my own human weakness as we speak, and I just pray that that this would not be a time for me as a preacher where I would try and uh, uh, dazzle with eloquence, but that Lord God, I would I would recede and that You would come to the forefront and that, that You would increase and I would decrease and that whatever is just of me would be forgotten, but the things that are of You, Lord Jesus, that the things that are of you, your holiness and your goodness and of your glory uh, would shine in our hearts, would charge us up, would light us up, uh, that we would dip our our torches, so to speak, in the reality of who you are uh, and take that uh, brightness out into the city that needs you so desperately. Jesus, please help us, lead us, guide us. We pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. So we're in Colossians, we're in chapter 1, we're going to hit Colossians twice, uh, this week and next week. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there, feel free to grab one. Um, This is important stuff. It's all important stuff, of course, but but as a church, we understand ourselves to be a gospel centered church. Uh, What is awesome in Christianity in general in the last, oh, I don't know, five or ten years, people have gotten really interested in the reality of the gospel, uh, in general, the church has realized we have gotten off track and we've missed the point that God, the God of the universe entered into human history in the person of Jesus, lived the life we were supposed to live, died on a cross to forgive us for our sins, uh, rose from the dead, uh, both to pay for our sins and to give us life, and that that should be the center of absolutely everything we do. Unfortunately, we had to get back to that and unfortunately as a church and as a person and as the church we often have to come back to this reality we often have to dust things off and say oh yeah what are we about what are we built on we're built on Jesus and the reality of who he is now it's it's easy then to kind of pick up buzzwords be like, oh we're a gospel-centered church we're a gospel-centered church this is a gospel-centered kids ministry and this is a gospel-centered discipleship and this is a gospel-centered music this is a gospel-centered this and at some point in mean, time you actually miss what any of that actually means but you're like oh but we're gospel-centered Yay for us! Um, the, the reality is, is that, that this is the foundation of everything we do. And, and, and we can fall into two ditches as we do it. One, it becomes so simple, uh, where when you're in the midst of trial or, or strife or, or problems, I'll come to your house or someone else comes. to your house. I wouldn't do this to you. But, so, you know, someone else comes to your house. You're a Christian. What you need is the gospel. Thank you. Have a good night. Just have the gospel and get on with the rest of your life. That's oversimplification right? We don't want to have an oversimplified understanding of what it means to be gospel centered. What we want to be are people who have this gospel of who God is permeate every piece of our life. And and Paul's going to show us how to do that. So we're going to look at three things today. The reality that Jesus is the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus is the gospel. Uh, Two, that Jesus is the gospel to the world. And three, that Jesus is the gospel to you. He is the good news to you. That the gospel's for Christians, the gospel's for non-Christians, the gospel's for you, the gospel's for your neighbor, the gospel's for everyone, and that it is the good news of Jesus and who he is. Now, Paul, Paul's writing to this church in Colossae, which is kind of a fun place to say. Colossae is a little town next to another town called Laodicea, and I know that because it says so in chapter four. Um, Now, Paul is in an interesting spot. He's writing this book. uh, It's we know it's before the great earthquake in 61 because there was an earthquake in 61 that just swallows up Colossae. So it's before 61, and it's either when he's in prison in Ephesus or in Rome, but we're not really sure. But that's okay because Paul's writing into a problem the Colossians are having, and he's not really sure what their problem is either. Uh, he, he, he gets this sense. He gets, he's gotten word. There's bad teaching. There's some shenanigans. There's some nonsense. And he's trying to figure out. But what's interesting is is that his letter doesn't just say, hey, stop it with the shenanigans, right? Uh, there's probably Judaizers, so there's people who are saying, well, it's the gospel plus this other thing. It's Jesus plus these things you should do, and that's what will make you right with God. Now, we talked about this last week. We are right with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe as Christians. That he bled and died so that we could be made right with God. And we can't earn God's love. But because he's loved us so greatly, we respond. We do things. We read our Bibles. We pray. We love people. We love God. We worship. We sing. We take communion. We do these things in response to his goodness and his glory. But it's a response to who he is. Right? The Judaizers are saying, oh, no, no, no. It's not a response. It's Jesus plus this other thing. Uh, likewise, there's likely some what are called, if we're going to be real, Technical, proto-Gnostics, uh, first Gnostics. Really, as Seattleites were accustomed to this, it's just kind of hyper-spiritual, new-agey type folk, right? And, and his answer is, no, Jesus isn't just part of some hyper, hyper-spiritual, new-agey stuff, and he's not just one of many options. He's something else. And so Paul's approach to this is to not just simply send them a letter that, sa- that says, knock it off. Paul's approach to this problem that he can't even quite totally wrap his mind all the way around is to send them this letter that has such a clear expression of the good news of who Jesus is that it's built to show them so clearly who Jesus is that's what we're looking at this week and who we are in the wake of the reality of who he is and then ultimately how we do that responding piece to who he is we'll get there next week so here we are in Colossians chapter 1 He wastes almost no time. He lets them know he's praying for them. He's thinking about them. And he jumps right in in verse 15. He says this. He, that's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the imprint. Jesus, uh, if you want to know God, know Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Know Jesus, know God. And then you have the bumper sticker, no Jesus, no peace, but it's the same thing. If you don't have Jesus, Jesus is the one way to get to God. And that is a free way to anyone who would receive him, who would receive his love and his grace. Uh, And and God, the Father, uh, is immaterial and invisible, and we haven't seen him. But but what Paul is going to say here, and what John is going to say, and what Jesus' own words are going to say, is if you want to know God, look at Jesus And the amazing thing is that He has given us His Word. He has revealed Himself to us. And as the church, even here in 2016, in the future, here in 2016, we still have His Word that so clearly reveals to us who He is. And everything God has wanted to communicate, He has done so right here and given it to us. You want to talk to God? Open the Bible and start reading. He's given you full and unfettered access. Listen to Him. It is here. God will speak to us. God has revealed Himself in His Son so that we would know the Father. He's empowered us by His Spirit who is speaking to us, who is empowering us, who is guiding us, and that those of us who know God can know this God. He'll get there in 21. I'll show you. He is the image of the invisible God. We always need to be so so careful as Christians that we don't get so used to ideas. I mean, I say that phrase often. You want to know God? Know Jesus. You want to see who God is? Look at Jesus. We want to be careful that we don't become so accustomed to ideas and phrases like this that we miss the fact that God chose to enter into human history and reveal himself in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. And that the invisible God of the universe, who made absolutely everything, as we'll see in a second, made himself manifest in Jesus as a gift as a grace he he didn't have to he didn't need to he chose to he's the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation okay now this one this is one of those things when you get to a text and you realize that the text has started at least three or four major heresies you have to approach the text carefully um when it says firstborn of all creation it doesn't mean that god made jesus and then made everything else uh, it, it's it's not temporal uh, it, we kind of miss this, right? We miss some things, uh, being Americans who live in 2016. Uh, King-type references are not super helpful. Maybe you've traveled a little bit. Maybe you've been outside Buckingham Palace, and you're like, oh, I guess the queen lives in there, but she's not even really in charge of England anymore. Uh, we don't really have this sense when it says king. that You're like, oh, when the king says something in the place that is his kingdom, that thing goes, right? Also, firstborn stuff is... Uh, I love my firstborn son, but, you know, he doesn't get a double portion of the inheritance. So it's not that there's not much inheritance to have. But back in the day, if you're the firstborn son, you get the land and you get the business and you get twice, you know, you divide up all your stuff between your kids and everybody gets a portion, but he gets the double portion and he's kind of in charge of the family line and he has this kind of place of preeminence in, in the family and really a lot of weight and responsibility. I don't know about you, but that's, that's, not, that's not how it's going to go right, in the Pack family. That, that's not how it goes down. But here in this context, when he says this firstborn thing, they know, oh, he's got the good seat at the table. Right, he's, he's, he's going to be in charge of dad's stuff. Uh, it, it's not saying that it was God, then Jesus, then everything else. It's God, Jesus is God, but the son is highlighted in this way. He is preeminent over all of these things. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For whether thrones or de- uh, uh, for by him, all things were created in, a, uh, in heaven and on earth. Paul's thinking back, I think, to Genesis when it says that God created the heavens and the earth. It's, it's called a mirrorism. It's, it's trying to put a couple bookends on everything. The heavens and the earth. What did God make? Everything, right? Uh, John's just going to give it to us in John chapter 1. Everything was made that was made. Thank you, John, for being extremely clear. I kind of like the clarity. Everything that was made, that was made, and that was everything but God, so that's what Jesus made. But here he uses, Paul, being sophisticated, uses those bookends. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Again, Paul, um, we're not going to get there, but in two is probably dealing with some you know, weird religion stuff. Uh, And he's going to associate all that stuff with rulers and authorities and dominions. What he's trying to make clear is Jesus is over everything. Jesus is king of everything. He's preeminent over everything. And everything that was made, including kings and, and spiritual realms and all those things, they were all made. Jesus made them all. He has preeminence. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, and I think Paul Hare has in mind, material and immaterial. Um, You know, depending where you're standing, this is a crazy thing to say, but I happen to be standing in the pulpit of a Christian church, which is, of course, a uh, community center that we've put some chairs out, now it's church this morning. Um, Actually, technically speaking, you're the church, but I digress. Uh, We're supernaturalists. There's visible and invisible. You know, God made angels, and he made... uh, spiritual realms and there's things we can't see and God is at work in all these wonderful ways and, and God's spirit, if you're a Christian, I mean, you want know, to talk about things we pass by. Jesus died on the cross. There's a curtain in the temple that's ripped as he dies on the cross which represents that you and I as Christians now in this, in this time and place have full and unfettered access to God. And The way that we get that full and unfettered access is that God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. I, I think that's actual, actually spatial in its nature. The Holy Spirit is present with us in a particular way as the people of God. God is present with you. When I shut off the lights for my kids at night and I say, Jesus loves you, Mama Papa love you, we're over this way, we're down the hall, don't be scared, God is with you, shut off the lights. Well, how is God with me? Well, if you're a Christian, God is actually with you. He's dwelling with you. We are the people of God who God has chosen to dwell with. And he is before all things, going back to our thing. He's before everything, because he's God. And in him all things hold together. This verse always rings true when I'm on the viaduct, and I think, oh wow, it really just takes a little earthquake, and this is, this is over, (laughs) right? So I'm there, and I'm driving in my minivan on the viaduct. It's scary. It's there. I'm I'm not saying anything that anyone disagrees with, by the way. And I'm on the viaduct. And you just realize as you're driving, and, and we're Seattleites. We are n- not the greatest drivers. And I'm, I'm not saying them Seattleites. I'm saying us, us Seattleites, right? Like driving in Seattle is, is a little scary. Um, so we're driving in Seattle, and you're driving on the viaduct. And if you think about it, the the chemical chain reactions that happen in the engines of all the cars on the viaduct as you're driving are, are firing, 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 firing. And this viaduct is not falling apart, and the earthquake is not running, and there's some guy changing songs on his iPod and not looking at you. He looks up, and then he scoots over and keeps driving and there's there's not a mess and there's not a wreck and 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 at the same time the seas are held at bay and and Puget Sound is held at the right temperature and the sun is shining the way God wants it to shine in that moment Uh, and in all these things God who made all those things didn't set a clock but that God that God who is before all things and in him all things hold together you're going to go to bed tonight hopefully your blood will continue to pump. Your lungs will continue to breathe in and out. He holds up all things. He holds all things together. Every atom and every sun and every distant star that Hubble can't see yet is held at exactly the temperature the God of the universe wants it to be held at. This is what Jesus is doing the hugeness. And he, now oh, this is amazing. I think Paul did this on purpose. So he switches from that. <sighs> you know, Pixar can't do that justice. IMAX can't do what God is doing justice. And he switches from this giant, huge picture of what Jesus is doing, holding every atom in the, every, we, we, they, we just keep getting smaller and smaller on it. He's holding all those little things together, all the big things together. He's doing all these things. It's hugeness. And he zooms in and says this. And he says, he's the head of the body of the church. So this God who's holding all of these wonderful things together, making the universe happen, is also our head. We're the body. He's the head. And you and I, through his blood, are so united to him, not by anything we've done, but all the grace he's shown to us. We're so united to this God who's holding all these things together that we get to be the body of the head of this God. This, this God is a metaphor, by the way. We don't do anything to earn it or deserve it, and it's just there for us. He is the beginning. Oh, this is good. I'll stop right there for just one second. So Jesus is the gospel. Christians are about the gospel. Well, what does that mean? we're about the proclamation of this God and who he is and all his wonder and all his might and all his goodness. Now we're going to hear how he's the good news to the world. Jesus is the gospel to the world. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Okay, that's kind of a weird thing to say. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So Jesus Christ lives, he comes, he lives this life that we were supposed to live, he totally and perfectly, sinlessly honors God. Uh, he, he dies on the cross, an innocent man uh, for those who have sinned against God, who is everybody. He dies in our place. We get what he deserves. He gets what we deserve. And we're made right. We're reconciled. Into the tomb he goes and three days later raises from the dead. As Christians we understand that that is the beginning of what God is doing to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. That is the beginning of what he's doing in that Romans 8 reality. That's the beginning of what he's doing for Isaiah when he says that he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. That is the beginning of him putting everything back the way it was, or at least in the book of Revelation you see even better. Uh, it's going to be better than it was. Uh, he's in the, in the process of of. Uh, of working this resurrected, resurrection power over the cosmos and over the world and over planet Earth, that when it's all said and done, when we read Revelation 20:21, 20, really 21, 22, that there's a new heavens and a new earth, and this thing that was broken is now fixed, and those of us who were broken are now redeemed, and the creation that was caused to rebel against Adam the way he rebelled against God is totally and completely restored. And that whole process begins with an empty tomb. That whole process begins with that empty tomb. And he's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, so that when those tears are wiped from those eyes, uh, that, we are, that we are crystal clear who Jesus is, what he has done, and he is the, that he is preeminent over absolutely everything. Philippians chapter 2 says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, period, on heaven, on heaven and earth everyone will acknowledge there is Jesus and his glory and his splendor. For in him, oh man, this is good. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You want to know God? Know Jesus. When he walked and lived on earth, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself. That's important, reconcile to himself. We've all sinned against him. We've, we've done wrong against him. When we do wrong against a human. We do wrong against him. All sin is sin against God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. you and I are at peace with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You and I are totally and completely right with God because of his blood. That doesn't mean we don't repent, that doesn't mean we don't turn from sin, Uh, that's not talking about sanctification, that's talking about our standing with God, your standing with God if you are a Christian is this, that you are totally loved, forgiven, and accepted by God because Jesus died on the cross where you should have died. You should have died, there. I should have died there, I didn't, he did. And by that blood, I'm reconciled to God. By what He has done, I am at peace with God. Uh, This, I mean, you want to talk about good gospel news. That means I can't earn His love. That means I can't do things to make Him... That means I can't even do things to pay the price for my sin when I've sinned. Well, God, I'm so sorry. I'll walk three more blocks or or, or read ten more chapters or do fifty more things. Anything to just pay you back for the wrong that I've done to you, please. But you can't. The problem is our sin is so huge that that walking three more blocks or reading ten more chapters wouldn't even cover it. Every sin is sin against an infinite God. Every wrong we do, every good action we do for our own credit, every wrong thing we do, uh, it's an infinite sin against God, which means the price to be paid for an infinite God is infinite. So infinite God, Jesus Christ, had to come to reconcile us to him. This, this is the stuff that sets Christianity apart from every other uh, religious system in the world. Every other religious system is about how you get to God or nirvana or get to God or find peace or, or find God or find yourself or whatever it might be. The good news of the gospel is how God came and found you. The good news of the gospel is how in his glory and for his glory that we would respond to this wondrous thing that he's done to pay the infinite price for the infinite reality of my sin. Man, How much I want to sing to that God. How much I want to praise His holy name. How much I want to live for Him. How much I want to turn from my sin and live for Him. How much I want to live the life that He's made for me. How much I want to live in the wake of the reality of who He is. And the reality is I don't do any of these things now so that He will love me. I do them in the freedom of His love. That's gospel good news right there. And that is freedom. That is real freedom. It's freedom that flows from the fact that we're reconciled to Him. Now listen, you know, and at the same time, this is good news to the world. And by the world, I mean, this is good news in a sense. Don't, I'm not careful. I just have to give a caveat and a qualifier. Uh, this is the, this is good news to the creation. And, and what I don't mean there is that, like, animals are going to be saved or that we start, you know, doing dog baptisms or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but in, in Romans 8, we get this... Genuine sense that the that the, the creation of God is longing to be back the way it's supposed. Something about how God has made this universe. This universe is built to be to be uh, in in harmony, not discord. Uh, uh, this world is meant to be a place where the people of God live for God and for His glory, uh, not you know, living in the rat race or, or doing survival of the fittest. Like, this, this whole place was built for the praise of his glory. And there's something about the creation that wants to get back to that. And that's how it happens is through the resurrection. But here, 21, this is good news to you. This is how Jesus, his manger, his cross, and his crown are good news to you. And you. This is the second person plural. We don't have one of those that you can stick in an ESV. We don't put y'all in an English translation or you guys. We don't do those things. But that's what means. You. And you. You. You who are once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. That is our state apart from Christ. We're Hostile. We're, we're either sort of good people hostile or bad people hostile. And what I mean by that is you sort of, well, well I do the right things. I, I clothe the needy. I make sure to tip at least a dollar on star, at Starbucks. I have to get cash to do that and yada, yada, yada. Or I'm a good per- I don't even go to Starbucks. I am a good person. I am holy and righteous in the world because I only use small batch, single origin, organic roasters from fair trade, whatever, whatever. And if you do that praise, you know, do it. <laughs> You're free in Christ. I'm not picking on you. I, go, I, I went to Starbucks this morning. Pick on me. I don't care. I, I don't mean it to pick. I, I'm just saying that we do things in our minds that make us feel good about who we are. Oh, I don't buy stuff from here, or I don't buy stuff from there. Or I, 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 uh, I take care of these people, or I take care of those people. I don't need God. I got me. Really? You, you did all that stuff? You made the sun shine, and the wheat grow, and made the electricity to power the grinder and need all the stuff to make that loaf of bread you gave to somebody else. Yeah, we are participants, friends. Like God has been so gracious to us that, that in Christ we can participate, we can love other people, we can do good works, and God is pleased with those good works that we do. But at the point in time when we say that those good works are what make us right with God, they become evil deeds, unfortunately. They become things that we do to save ourselves. And when we save ourselves, we say, God, I don't need you. I'm okay with me. Now, of course, there's just sort of the obvious, the the wiling out, the open rebellion. You're unkind to people. You're you're wiling out. I said wiling out twice. Um, Living a reckless life for your own self-satisfaction. How about that? And you who were once alienated. All these things cause a distance between us and God. We're alienated from God. When we're living for us and not for God, we don't know God, we don't know who He is. And in a sense, we are hostile and doing evil deeds. That's where we were. That's that's who we are. We can't even calculate the depth of our own lack and depravity. He, that's Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And you who were once alienated and hostile, that's who you are. This is up here. This is who he is, right? God Almighty. God Almighty. You, not God Almighty, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he, God Almighty, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Again, he died so you don't have to. He died so that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He, he died to pay the price for all of our sins so that we could live and be right with God. We can be reconciled. We're not just like even Stephen, right? It's not just that he paid your, paid your bill this time. And now it's up to you uh, to pay your bill next time. It's paid in full. You are made right with God. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body, so you're you're no longer his enemy, you're now his friend, by his death in order. Well, why'd he do it? in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy, set apart. You know, holiness is this massive theme in the Bible. And it means to be set apart and set apart for the purposes of God. You, you are set apart for God. Your life's for him. I don't know what you do for, I mean, I know what most of you do for a living, but like, whatever you do for a living or, 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 or what you do with your, t- those things are all set apart for Him, for His glory. And, and it's not that one person does a holier thing than another per se, but, but that we now have these lives that belong to Him that are set apart to make much of His name. They're set apart for us to glorify Him by enjoying Him in absolutely everything we do. That lives are for the worship of Him. For the glory of him so that we live blameless blameless that's a powerful word blameless he who he or she who flashes the universal sign of dis- disapproval on the viaduct when the guy is changing his music or whatever and almost runs you over Agitated and irritated because the, the waitress was late with your coffee or forgot your coffee. Oh no, the world is coming to end and this is the worst person ever because your coffee, your bacon and eggs that you didn't have to cook are on the table and your coffee's not. Oh, the humanity. You are blameless. Now, Paul's gonna be really, really, really clear here. We're in the process of taking off, what, what, he's gonna use using cautions, taking off the old man, putting on the new. This does not mean that in this life, now as you speak, you are without sin. But we're taking off this old stuff. The who you were and are putting on the who you are. Holy and blameless. Righteous before God. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in this body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Here's the good news. He didn't pick you because you're holy and blameless and above reproach. You didn't become a Christian because you're holy and blameless above and above reproach. You became a Christian because God decided by His grace and mercy to make you holy and blameless and above reproach. You and me were the other stuff, alienated and hostile mind. In order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him, if indeed, here's this conditional sentence, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and on earth, which I, Paul, became a minister. Now the big if there, I don't think is works righteousness. By works righteousness I mean uh, you get to get saved because you did the good work of staying a Christian. The if is that we proved durable what we already know to be true that we're saved. Because the reality is, if you're a Christian, we give the Peter response. All these, I think it's right after he gives the discourse about uh, you know, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And everybody says, okay, the food stuff was cool, water and a wine, that was neat, uh, healing blind people, that's cool, eating flesh and blood, I'm going to go home, I'll see you later, thank you Jesus, have a good night. And everybody goes kind of honestly I mean we can look and say but he's Jesus and it's, he's kind of referencing communion and stuff yeah that's where we sit in 2016 if, if, if the guy that you were listening to the preacher you were listening to started saying stuff like that you might say what does he mean by that that's weird and it's okay that's well, not okay because they leave right? but Peter has a really interesting response where else would we go I think that's where we're at as Christians. When you have Jesus, and sometimes the only thing you have is Jesus. The only, everything else can be completely and totally stripped away from us, and all we have is Jesus. But because we're loved, because we're forgiven, and because though everything has been taken away from us, we actually have absolutely everything in Him, our answer is, well, where else would we go? In hardship, in strife good times and bad times the high places the low places jesus is the good news the thing the gospel the message we proclaim is jesus god himself the fulfillment of the first 78% of this book who took on human flesh who walked among us who walked here on this earth They could be a faithful high priest so that he knows absolutely. He can relate to you in a way that is not distant, that is not far, because he's been an actual human being. Fully God, fully human. Got hungry, cried, got ditched by his friends, uh, was put through immense pain, uh, was questioned by his mama if he was even legit. Jesus knows. If you have pain, Jesus knows. And he knows firsthand, and it's real. Never confuse that. His life was a real life. It's not distant. It's not fairy tale. He, he walked among us, and he knows. And it's the reality of that cross that he died and bled so that we could be made right. The reality of his resurrection. He is risen. He's the one who came, who died, who rose. And that is the gospel. that is the good news for the world because that, in the sense of the world, the actual planet, he's restoring all things, not in the way that we envision it, uh, you know, with three garbage cans. I have my three garbage cans. I use my three garbage cans. It's not a political commentary on the three garbage cans I have to use in Seattle. Uh, uh, But the three garbage cans on my doorstep, my compost, my recycling, and my garbage can, which is the smallest of all of them, I think it's good, it's good stewardship, but that's not the hope of this creation. It's good news to the world as we know it. It's good news uh, to the world because the world is full of people who don't know this God and could and can and many who will. And it's good news to you, whether you've never heard this before ever. This is who God is. Jesus is God. And God is not asking you to put on your Sunday best and clean up your life and get right so you can get right with God. God is coming to save us. He's the one that makes us right with himself. He does the reconciling to us. It's not my effort to get right with him. It's his effort to get right with me and I receive it. If you don't know him, today is the day. He will save you. He will forgive you. He will give you life and life in abundance. And for those of us who are Christians, this is is what we need, right? Right? We need to come back to this again and again and again to dip our torches in the reality of who Jesus is because the saddest, scariest thing in my own life is the fact that I can close this book, I can get up, I can feel refreshed and my next impulse is one of selfishness or my next impulse is of self-serving or my next impulse is of religion where I'm trying to earn my way to God. And I get out of the response to who he is and the wonder of who he is. This is good news to us, not just because of the position it puts you in, forgiven love child of God, but the life you actually get to live in the wake of that. Drinking your fancy Seattle uh, single origin coffee can be done to the praise of his glorious name. Uh, that how you parent your kids or how you do singleness or how, how, you, how you do life or how you do sickness, all is done in Christ and for His glory and for our joy. That, that we can be light in the midst of our pain and the midst of our suffering because we hold on to Him, we trust Him, and we rejoice in Him even when it's hard. And He's, He's our glorious God who we glorify by enjoying when things aren't hard. You might leave here, that's too cold for us. You might leave here and go have a picnic and everything is awesome. And we do that to his glory, right? We do that because we understand the mercy and grace he's showing us. And for every sip of that single origin coffee, we can reflect on that fact that he's the one who's holding it all together, and yet he's here with us as we're enjoying that coffee. And instead of saying, I am awesome for, for picking this particular coffee, we say, Jesus, you are awesome for making this thing. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. And that can be the overriding reality that crowds out our lives, that we live for Jesus. Again, we have to keep coming back and dipping our torches in the reality. We do this in prayer. We do this by reading our Bibles. We we do this by meditating on who he is and what he has done. We do this by living in Christian community. We do this by being people who tell each other the truth of Jesus. We do this by being people who take responsibility for each other's lives with our goal and our hope being that we get to point each other to Jesus and who he is. Another great way we get to respond to the reality of who Jesus is is we, we sort of get to do these, these acts that, that work out what he's done. Um, in a moment, we're going to take communion. This is his body broken and bloodshed for us. Um, I'll give you the logistics, and then I'll kind of wind us down. On the far side, we have gluten-free. In the middle, we have gluten, wine, juice, and a basket for the offering. When we do this, we proclaim that we belong to this God. We do this in, a, in, in remembrance of him. We do this in a proclamation of this gospel, that Jesus paid the price for my sin and made me live. So Paul commands us in 1 Corinthians, we consider our sin, we take it seriously before we take this cup. We consider the ways we're living as the old man and not as the new. And we take it off and we respond. We respond to who he is. We understand, I am blameless and forgiven and loved by God because of that cross. And so we respond to His grace and His mercy by celebrating the reality He paid the price for our sins so that we could be forgiven and so we could live. And so we do this by taking the bread and dipping it in the wine and eating it and remembering His body broken and bloodshed for us. So we take our sins seriously and we consider it. But when we stand up to do this, we stand up to celebrate, to rejoice. And in a moment we're going to stand up and sing and rejoice in all the wonderful things that this God, Jesus Christ, God alone has done. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, you are our king. That is not a figurehead role. You are preeminent in our lives. And we just pray that you would help, the rea- that you would move by the power of your Spirit through the truth of your word to crowd out in our life the things where we're living for ourselves. We're celebrating ourselves. We're living for selfishness because there's freedom and joy. Help us wherever we're going. I don't know what kind of week everyone came in from, and I don't know what kind of week they're going out to. Whatever you've got for us this week, I pray we would, we would celebrate and rejoice in the good news of who you are and in the good news of who you are to us, our God. I pray for us that this reality would just be rich and deep, and clear, and would just light us up for a a worship of you, an enjoyment of you that would bring you glory and would bring us great happiness and joy. Jesus, we need you, and we pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.